Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Out of the gates and ready to go. OutKick 360 is underway. Thursday edition is here. That means we're going to get you ready for the upcoming football weekend with all the news and notes. Across the sports world, college football, NFL, and more. Gentlemen, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Excited about a big show today. Uh, excited about Trey Wallace coming up here soon. Yes. What are talking about in college football? And we've got news with an NFL franchise and the law. Paul, how are you? I am good. I'm glad that I uh, made it in. Had to change tire on the side of the interstate. I'm glad that you I You did could... it or? No, I did it. Oh, really? Yeah, but I'm glad I uh, I made it across because it, it blew out on the le- in the left lane, and I, there's no way I'm going to the left that. shoulder. I, you showed me a photo of this. I don't know how you you made it over on the interstate. Well, doing this. I think the tire got to the state I showed you in during okay. my <laughs> my move across four lanes to get to the right shoulder. There's no way I'm going to the left shoulder. Uh, and trying to do anything there. And I was desperate to get out to, to the Titans, which I made on time remarkably. But I did get distracted at one point when I was putting the jack down. And uh, you know how many turns you've got to do, only 180 degrees. Yes. And um, got distracted and then did uh, righty-tighty instead of lefty-loosey. Oh. Um, about 40 turns. <laughs> and I was like, Clamped it this down. thing's going up. It's not going down. What are you doing? So uh, I got into that situation fun. trying to lower the basketball goal for to eight feet for my daughter's practice. You put it up to twelve. Stop the the woman that the, that's the a mom coaches <laughs> the boys team that's seven and eight, and then we coach the girls team. And I saw her do it. And I'm sitting there and I'm going I'm going lefty Lucy trying to go down that way. And I finally looked at her and said, is this thing moving? And it was like an optical illusion. And then finally we realized, she's like, I really don't know. And I kept going that way and it was actually slowly coming down. So I was going the right way the whole time. But was convinced I had it going the wrong way. It got Paul, a little good warm job out changing there. your it tire. It got a little warm out there. Good job changing your tire. It was warm. Yeah, it's seventy plus today. I was thinking back to, to uh, our buddy David Reed, who always talked about like how he would stop on the side of the road to help. You're and, waiting. And, on the I, I, and while I was doing this, I was like, boy, there's no David Reed's out here today. Then <laughs> sure, it's are. like that Titan safety that thought the same thing about you. Yeah, when like I got hit in the back, the way to a game. who was that? He's like, he saw me on the sidelines before the game, and he's like, hey, did you get an accident on your way here? And I was like, yeah, Damian Stafford. Yeah. That's it. And I was like, yeah. He said, I thought that was you. <laughs> <laughs> Drove right by you. Former Nebraska Cornhusker. Yeah. Yeah, Armando Salguero will join us, uh, plus Michael McHenry on today's show. We'll get his award winners for the Major League Baseball season. And again, Trey Wallace coming up in about 15 minutes. Uh, yeah, Chad, we've got uh, legal Legal analysis, legal, uh, more more legal fees coming the NFL's way. How much do you think the NFL spends on attorneys' fees in any given year? I'd like to know what decade? just their retainer is on top of actual hourly fees they're going to spend. But just to keep those attorneys on retainer, oh, the top of- attorneys in the country or in New York City, 
how much they're paid and then what they're paying on top of that. I don't think they're doing anything hourly. I think it's all <laughs> all retainer. All retainer. They're just making a ton of money. DC attorney, um, he the attorney general, he he filed a lawsuit against Dan Snyder, the commanders organization, the NFL, and specifically naming Commissioner Roger Goodell for collusion in how they handled the investigation and penalty phase of everything they've been doing within that organization. That's collusion to deceive fans. Look, I'm all for piling on as hard as you can to help make this thing happen, but it sounds weak on on the face. I don't doubt that he's guilty and the league's guilty of what they're doing, but you were saying uh, before, it's it's like getting a mob on tax evasion. It seems like, Davey mentioned that, that it's like getting going after Al Capone for tax evasion is what's going on. I also see it as an attorney general that's trying to get some publicity, quite frankly. When I see a story like this, um, look, everybody wants, to, wants transparency and wants to see the report. And I guess this is one way to try to force the NFL to show something, to show their hand and what they found with Daniel Snyder. But... I just feel like this ain't it. Don't corporations try to keep civil, things quiet, their business lawsuit, quiet all the time? The exact wording I want to yeah. get right here. Civil lawsuit that alleges colluding to deceive fans and district residents about the league's investigation into the team's toxic workplace culture and allegations of sexual assault in an effort to maintain a strong fan base and to increase profits. Was the team obligated under some kind of law to be transparent? That, that's my question. I mean, obviously, there's some kind of loophole or wrinkle here where there's a case. Well, part of it was like, yeah, they, they penalized him and took away power, quote unquote, but then allowed story. him to determine what was going to be made public and not and when. Does, so it's a private company, though. So does the District of Columbia have any type of bearing in terms of tax credit, property, anything? The stadium's in Landover, Maryland. You see my point. If yeah, it's city, some if it's city property and there's kickbacks involved and there's contracts signed where you're in some way attached to the city, I could see where you could get away with, okay, you deceived us, you deceived taxpayers in the city, you deceived the uh, season ticket holders, anyone who purchased a ticket, and you could go with a civil lawsuit. That You can sue someone for anything. So, I mean, they can right. sue all they want, but if it's a private company, I feel like this is a bit of a stretch for this to actually lead to something, but maybe, just maybe, it leads to more transparency with the investigation because they're going to have to present something to get this thing squashed. Who knows? I mean, maybe it's part of uh, another log on the sales fire too that that adds crackle to to all of the things that have stacked up against Daniel Snyder that have prompted him to look into selling at least a piece of the team that could lead to an ultimate sale. Um, but, yeah, it doesn't feel like it's one of the big chips here. We will issue subpoenas. Uh, this is Racine, the Attorney General. Carl Racine is the Attorney General in D.C. We will issue subpoenas. We will seek testimony under oath from people, the NFL and the not commanders. Not from a yacht. This is also <laughs> That's what, That was in the language. This is not someone... <laughs> Yeah, when when you're going after someone in civil court this way, a civil lawsuit, they're not just okay with someone else owning the team. The NFL wants someone else to own the team. Commanders fans want someone else to own the team. Daniel Snyder now, I believe, fully realizes with everything going on, he's trying to sell the team. He wants to get out. He wants to get out with billions in selling the team. 
This is an effort to make sure he does not get out the door with billions, that they're going to cut into that with a civil lawsuit. Good luck. I don't think it's going to work. Well, it's not just him. They've named the, they've named the entire the league. The NFL, yeah. And, and the commissioner and, yeah, so, and, and the organization. So on top of if he sells the team, he, the, the, the organization is still named in the lawsuit. League's got a pretty good record in, in court. And things could unfold. I'm sure the attorney now. general does too. Yeah, the leagues. You're right. Leagues. Uh, things could unfold between now and the resolution of this suit that make it moot. Look, I would love for this to to present new information that the NFL was hiding. They're clearly hiding. They they don't want people to know exactly what came out in this. And maybe this forces their hand. I mean, if he's going to uh, Carl Racine, the AG, if he can issue subpoenas. And demand testimony under oath. Maybe, maybe this leads to something. It just feels like a reach to me right now. Uh, I'm also no attorney, so we'll see what happens. Do I believe that the league and the commanders and Daniel Snyder colluded to keep this from the public? Absolutely, they did. Do I think that they can prove it and that they have a case in consumer court that somehow they violated the consumer's interest in colluding? Do I think the NFL is going to be able to fight it and fight it well? Yes. I think all those things are true. And then the commanders put out a statement last night prior to this, right? Um, where Preemptive strike. Yeah, they knew this was coming. And they named, uh, they, they mentioned the attorney general and it bashed that office uh, and focused on, uh, saying they focused on Snyder instead of trying to figure out who shot Brian Robinson. And then Robinson's agent came back and said, you know, this has been a great story until this exact statement was made. Like you've, we were fully on board with the, the comeback story and then they're using this as an example to be a preemptive strike for the attorney general. And they've, they've done good work in finding who shot Brian Robinson. They've, they've got one guy, maybe two guys, two. right? Teenagers. Two now, yeah. yeah two yeah. teenagers. So, I mean, that's a dumb thing to cross-pollinate by, by Washington, by, by the commanders. What are the commanders going to say? Well, they shouldn't say that. I mean, the, the, what they should say is nothing. Yeah. Like that, you're well, in a, you're, you cannot win as a commander spokesperson that's being dictated by the Snyder family to get something out there. There's nothing you can say other than beating the dead horse of, we have made tremendous progress over since this investigation started. We've taken great steps and tremendous progress. You just keep saying that over and over in hopes that people forget about the past. You say this is a frivolous lawsuit and we're confident that when our day in court comes, Well, the one interesting thing proven, they said so. was in the statement that, not that it's frivolous necessarily, but that this is a complete shock to us because we just met with the Attorney General and we're cooperating with his office and in fact, in our meeting, we brought forth information that they said, oh, I didn't know that. That's enlightening to me. And then a few days later, he's holding a press conference saying they're pressing charges. Yeah, that'd be fine. Just say that. Yeah. Well, it's just a, to me, it's just the latest 24-hour news cycle branch on the tree that's been a crazy year and a half, two years with this organization, even prior to that. Uh, it even, to me, it, it puts in, a, in bold how crazy it is that the, the, the commanders right now are four and five on the season. It's remarkable when you consider all the distractions within those walls over the last year and a half. How much can you Ron enjoy it as a fan with all of this stuff? There's always Think something. Think about the players. Like I mean, there's, every day yeah, you walk same. in, there's something new. And it has to do with workplace environment, sexual harassment, um, skimming money off the top from owners. 
everything. Uh, going on a yacht instead of having you know their their testimony in front of Capitol Hill. Um, Jack Del Rio having to apologize, and then Ron Rivera issuing statements that he has no business issuing. Craziness. And they're four and five in one game out of being like right in the thick of playoffs. the playoff race. I think the one maybe saving grace for the commanders right now is uh, it's been pretty outside of their day-to-day realm. You know, it hasn't really since this offseason with Del Rio. It hasn't involved the coaching staff as much. It hasn't involved the players and coaches with all the outside noise about Daniel Snyder. So maybe they can pack things in a little bit more and bunker up and it, it can get through their daily work that way. Um, because then the comparison to me a year ago with Vegas and what happened with John Gruden early in the year, and then they persevered in large part, right? I mean, they fought through it with a new coach, but that was a complete change because your head coach, the main voice you hear every day is gone. At least that stayed consistent for Washington. Maybe the reason that they're doing as well as they are. We say as well as they're four and five, which is a surprise to me yeah, and th- with this all this day, going on. This year, four and five ain't bad. Like Hutton's saying, well, four bad, and five, you're in range of... It's not good either. Yeah, no, but you're in range of... <laughs> right, of, you, right. You ain't dead. And they're in, they're in a great division. That's the other thing. When you look at the, the other three teams right now in the East, the fact that Washington is not Indianapolis in the South is it's remarkable. Very impressive. Hit us up with your thoughts at Outkick360. Coming up, college football discussion, SEC, the scenarios for this weekend with LSU in Fayetteville, three-and-a-half-point favorite, um, but only that against Arkansas. We'll get Trey's take on that. Plus, Alabama and Ole Miss. Lane Kiffin has had two weeks Ooh, to prepare my. for Alabama, and they're uh, 11? 12-and-a-half last and a half I saw. 12-and-a-half-point underdog at home to the Crimson Tide, who already have two losses on the season, albeit by a combined four points. Um, again, Trey Wallace straight ahead. First, though, Aurora NutriScience, VitalifeScience.com. Our trusted partner with their supplements keeps Outkick 360 mentally sharp and healthy, and they deliver supplements where you need them the most, your body. VitalifeScience.com, the website. V-I-D-A-LifeScience.com is where you can see more information. And Outkick 360 season ticket holders receive a 15% discount with the code OUTKICK360. Typical pills, capsules, not well absorbed in your body. But here's Aurora, unique, cutting-edge, nutritional, and absorbable supplements encapsulated in liposomes that ensures a greater absorption in the body's bloodstream. I use the vitamin C, vitamin D3, glutathione. There's so many more supplements, vitamins to choose from at vitalifescience.com, V-I-D-A-LifeScience.com for more info. 15% off when you use the code OUTKICK360. That's at vitalifescience.com. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer with over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros. Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back. And their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. 
Angie makes the process seamless. From researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience, Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. Coming up, we have one big thing on every NFL game, plus Armando Salguero and Michael McHenry with more analysis on the NFL and Major League Baseball. Right now in Outkick 360, we welcome in Trey Wallace of Outkick.com. We We'll turn our attention to the SEC and the slate of games coming up for week 11. Trey, good to see you, man. Guys, hope you're well. Hope the week has been treating you good and uh, ready for another crazy weekend of college football. Yes, so uh, let's start in Oxford, shall we? We've got Lane Kiffin, had the week off last week. Now the Rebels are hosting the Crimson Tide, who are coming off the loss to LSU. And two losses already for Bama, but they're a two- Two-possession favorite on the road here. 11, 12 and a half at some books. So your thoughts on the fact that Kiffin, we know that what the game plan was last year in Tuscaloosa. That did not work, where they were going for fourth down, trying to force the issue, and Bama led at halftime big. What do you expect this week, given the fact that it's in Oxford and we've seen blemishes to the record of the Crimson Tide already? Yeah, you you look at Alabama and, and the games that they've lost. I mean, they they've come down to the final possession, two point conversion in Baton Rouge, last second field goal against Tennessee. Um, and I think you know if, if you're if you're Lane Kiffin, you got to be kind of licking your chops a little bit, looking at the Alabama secondary uh, and what they have given up over those two losses and even other games. I mean, we we've seen quarterbacks be able to establish a a a consistent game plan and, and especially the offensive coordinators, I, you know, the, the spread to me, it's like Alabama's, you know, they're always some kind of, you know, either a nine point favorite or an 11 point favorite, you know, wherever they go, you know, but, but Oxford and how big this one is to Lane Kiffin, you have to wonder, does he get as dicey as he did last season? You brought it up. You know, th- this is a game that Ole Miss really needs to win. First off, they're trying to stay in the conversation for the SEC West. Uh, but I think second off, they're trying to build upon what they did last year. And another trip to a New Year's Six game would certainly line that up. I just – I look at this game overall, and I feel like, you know, Alabama has the components to go in there and, you know, and and and, and beat up on an Ole Miss secondary that, to me, is, has shown problems this year. But then I look at it the flip side, and I'm like – Okay, this is not the same Alabama team. There's no reason for everybody in Tuscaloosa to panic, but you know the dynasty's not over. Is all we've heard this week from former Alabama players, and I'm, my mind's blown when I hear that. But I do think this presents Ole Miss an opportunity to grab a win against Alabama and and, and make it two in a row. And when it comes to losses, and look, it it's going to come down to if Ole Miss can run the football. You know, Jackson Dart, he's going to probably get his across the middle, whatnot. Alabama's going to get after him. But if Ole Miss going to do establish that running game, I think it does cause problems for Alabama. So I'm very intrigued about what we see at 3.30 Eastern on, on CBS. 
Trey, do you think that Lane Kiffin is going to be a real factor in the Auburn opening, or do you think this is more of a an announced contract extension and raise from Jimmy Sexton and Ole Miss for Lane Kiffin before things get serious? Chad, I, I think he's going to be a factor in this, and, and, and the biggest thing about it is, okay, you're having to deal with Jimmy right now because Lane Lane's not going to be talking to, to Auburn, and if he is – He's doing it on a burner behind the scenes. Nobody's going to know about it. Talking maybe to a booster or two. I, I think that Auburn, you know, look, they they would love for Lane Kiffin to be the head coach on the Plains. I think the better the better way to go would probably be Hugh Freeze, in my opinion, um, just from an overall standpoint of building back the program, uh, getting that second chance, um, you know, in the SEC West to maybe rebuild the image as well as bring it. Compared to what he's done at Liberty, I think over, when we look at this from just 30,000 feet, Lane Kiffin to me feels like the guy that would go into Auburn, piss off everybody in Tuscaloosa for taking the job, and then he would win at Auburn. In my opinion, he would win. And, and I think he understands that. It's not like Auburn is going to come out and offering more money to take him away from Oxford. Like, Money's not a big factor for Kiffin. Kiffin's got money. So even if you came at him and you said, okay, look, we'll pay you $10 million to come to Auburn when he's making, what, around seven five right now in Oxford, he's going to get an extension, probably more money out of that in the next year or two. I don't think money's the factor, but I think overall restarting his clock maybe in the SEC with the playoffs coming down the line, can he do it in Oxford or can he do it in Auburn? I think he can do it in both. But I just feel like Auburn might be a better situation long-term than Oxford. Trey Wallace with us. Outkick.com is where you can read all of the SEC content there. Uh, Trey, let's it's a pivot point here with this game and then LSU-Arkansas. And let's consider Ole Miss wins Saturday. And regardless of what happens with LSU, we know that it sets up a race over the back backstretch of the, the final two games here. So just looking ahead, if Ole Miss wins, what do you think this sets up? over the final two weeks of the regular season. For Ole Miss, it would be at Arkansas, followed by the Egg Bowl in Mississippi State. And then for LSU, they get UAB, and then they travel to College Station for A&M. Man, I, you, I would have loved for this LSU-Arkansas game to kind of be more primed up, but Arkansas had to go out and lose to Liberty last weekend and kind of screw this, this game up a little bit, in my opinion. Um, I, I, I look at it, and I, I think that when we're breaking it down and we're, we're saying Ole Miss is going to win, you know, that's a lot of pressure on LSU to, 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 to beat Texas A&M into the season. You've got Arkansas this weekend and I get it. I, I still think KJ Jefferson and rock Sanders are fantastic on offense for Arkansas. It sets up that crazy game with Jimbo Fisher to close out the season and anything can happen. We've seen that game before. We've seen the craziness. You, everybody remembers the the what the seven overtime game that we saw between these two. I just I just feel like this would set up an enormous amount of pressure on Brian Kelly and LSU if they don't clinch this thing this weekend and then have to look ahead and know that you've got a trip to College Station that's going to be for the West. I, I just feel like, you know, if if Lane Kiffin can do it, they can win on Saturday. My goodness, you're setting up something very beautiful towards the end because that Egg Bowl 
Yeah. And then that game between LSU and Texas A&M would mean so much. I I got a feeling that's where chaos maybe comes into this thing at the end. And and by the way, if you're a Tennessee fan, you want LSU to keep winning until Atlanta and then get beat up by Georgia. That's how you get into the playoffs from one scenario as well. We can't forget that either. Something else, Tennessee fans, they who they need to root for this weekend, Alabama, which will be hard for them against Ole Miss. But you need Alabama <laughs> to win and knock Ole Miss from the ranks of the once-beaten teams yep. in the SEC. Uh, Trey well, it's Wallace. also strength this. It's also strength the schedule too, Chad. Like I didn't mean to cut you off right there, but it's like you got to root for Alabama in one sense. You've got to root for LSU because you need that strength of schedule to continue looking good. Because as one person pointed out to me, in two weeks you're going to have Kentucky drop out of the top twenty-five because they're going to get beat by Georgia, but probably. So that hurts strength of schedule too. So a lot of factors are playing into this playoff situation as we get closer to the end of the season. So Georgia at Ole, at Mississippi State, excuse me, this weekend. I see that 16-point line, Georgia favored by 16. I want to jump all over that because I feel like Georgia's going to win by four touchdowns in this game at Mississippi State. Am I missing something here, though, Trey, in what's kind of a weird road trip for Georgia against uh, a very strange Mike Leach offense that's uh, difficult to prepare for if you haven't faced it a lot? Well, it's different – their state's offense is different than what like Tennessee was running last week. You know, Mississippi State is just going to sit in the pocket. They're going to go shotgun. They're not going to go as fast as what Tennessee did, but they're going to try to beat you down the field. They're going to try to space things out a little bit. It's going to be different. It is kind of weird. When I looked at the schedule before the season, I saw George going to Mississippi State, you know, in the middle of November. I was like, okay, that's kind of awkward, but I like it. You know, can Mike Leach pull something out? I mean, we, we, the only game I guess I could go back to and say, okay, look at that one. Maybe look how close it was when Georgia didn't show up to Columbia, Missouri, and Missouri had a chance to beat them in the fourth quarter, but completely just screwed that one up. That's the only way that I see something like this happening is if Georgia comes out flat against Mississippi State and Will Rogers, who we all know can sling the football around. If he gets hot and he's throwing it 55 times in the game, maybe it's interesting Saturday night. But I think that's the only way it is, is if Georgia just comes out a little bit dead coming off last weekend. And I, I'm with Chad because Mississippi State's very methodical with their drives when they score. They don't. It's not the big play offense. And I think it's extremely difficult to drive at 8, 10, 12 plays and actually keep up with what we expect Stetson Bennett and the Georgia offense will do. Especially because they're going to kill Will Rogers if he sits in the pocket. Like right, that's, sure. that's, I mean, that's the other thing as well. Will Rogers is not the mobile quarterback that that Georgia has played at other times during the season. He's the guy that's going to sit back there, try to pick you off. If he sits back there long enough, he's going to get killed. So we're a long way removed from the Kentucky coaches' fight about uh, Kentucky being a basketball school. We're also a long way removed from the idea that Kentucky was going to be good. They're in fourth place. They'll beat Vanderbilt this weekend. They'll lose to Georgia after that. Um, Mark Stoops talked a little bit about NIL again. How much of a hole is Kentucky in in terms of keeping up with the with the modern programs in, in the conference uh, in order to, to, to keep up in the long term? I think until the last seven to ten days, they've been pretty screwed when it comes to NIL. And there's been a problem. You you haven't had the athletic department working with the boosters. 
you haven't had the boosters and then the collectives out there, you know, what's the best way to put it? Trying to work cohesively with the athletic department. It's like both ways. Everybody's trying to meet in the middle, but they can't. So that's where you're finding these problems right now with Kentucky when it comes to NIL. Getting these kids to hang around Lexington, Kentucky, you're going to have to pay some money. And 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 that's okay. That's what NIL is now. We can't be scared to say it, hey, you're going to have to pay some freshmen some money to keep them around. When this transfer portal window opens up at the end of November, right there during championship week, you're going to see players leave Kentucky. You're going to see players leave A&M. But I think the in other schools, but I think overall, Paul, I think with Kentucky, there's been this, I don't want to, I guess we can call it friction because of what Stoops and Cal decided to get into earlier in the year when it comes to basketball NIL, football NIL, which is more important when it comes to the stability of the university. And I think basketball has led to this point. Now they're trying to get the football side of it going. And I understand it. But, man, what a letdown of a season for Kentucky football with all the preseason expectations where they were. Um, there's a reason why people are tuned out of Kentucky football now. And, and you know, we can – and, Paul, you would know this. I mean, we could sit here and talk about, you know, Will Levis being a, a top-10 draft pick or a top quarterback taken in the draft. But to me, like, that's the only conversation you've got going on right now with Kentucky, unless they somehow defeat Georgia in two weeks. So NIL is a major factor right now, and they better figure it out real quick because here in about 20 days, the transfer portal window is going to open up. There could be a lot of Kentucky players trying to get out. That's why I think Nebraska should hire Mark Stoops, and I wrote about it in my latest OutKick column. You can read it at OutKick.com as I play matchmaker for all the available coaches' openings. And I think Mark Stoops makes a lot of sense. No question about who's king at Nebraska, and it's football. So he can get away from the shadow of his own basketball program if he wanted to do that. On the flip side of the NIL discussion, Trey, is Tennessee, where you had Danny White last week publicly endorse Spire Sports. Today you had Josh Heupel mention the name Spire Sports and how they are leading the way in NIL. And it has been a huge advantage to Tennessee football and Tennessee athletics in terms of what they're doing to make money for their athletes. And it doesn't seem to be a huge distraction. I feel like right now, everything could go south at any point. We know that. But if you're looking for the model of it doesn't have to be the worst thing ever and guys can still focus on their teamwork, their schoolwork, everything else, and you can have a functional program, it's at Tennessee where NIL has been done the right way. Would you agree? I do agree. I think it's it's good to see these schools – these coaches, these athletic directors come out and support the big boys in town. Because, look, there's there's going to be the small guys, and there's nothing against the small guys when it comes to NIL because they offer different things compared to Aspire that offers or a Gator Collective that offers it in Gainesville. There's just two different things going on. But I think overall, when you look at it, they had to play it that way. Danny White finally had to suck it up and say, okay, I'll do a video. I will say Spire Sports and then Josh Heupel. We haven't heard it. It's been, what, nine weeks, ten weeks into the season. We've never heard him say Spire Sports before. But now he comes out and says it's because he knows how big these collectives are and how close we are to getting to early signing day when we're getting that transfer portal window. And and if a collective is going to prove 
that they can raise the money, that they're not, here's another thing too, that they're not going to be a problem for the programs. They're not going to be a problem for the basketball program or the football program or the baseball, meaning, you know, they're not going to try to take away Cedric Tillman, you know, when he needs to be in the film room or Hendon Hooker or whatnot. I think you have to earn the trust. These collectives have to earn the trust of these schools. And once they do that, then I think that's somebody or I think that's an entity that they can get behind. So I think that's a credit to, to Spire. And I think that's a credit to other you know collectives around the country that they've earned the respect of the athletic departments enough for them to say, okay, we trust you. You, We think you're the biggest and the baddest right now. Let's get behind it. And let's talk about it. Tennessee hosts Missouri, 11 a.m. Central Time kick on CBS, the, the weird early then late afternoon doubleheader on CBS this Saturday. Trey, um, Tennessee's been really good at 11 a.m. with the early kickoffs under Josh Heupel. And Trey Flowers, uh, it was interesting, he said, well, that's because we practice so early in the morning. When these games kick off, we're already done with practice most days for a couple of hours by the time they kick. So our bodies are naturally ready to go in the morning for these morning games. Do you think Tennessee bounces back from the bad performance in Athens at home this weekend against the Tigers? Yeah, and Trayvon Fireworks is right. I mean, these guys are going at it at, at, at 7 o'clock in the morning. They're in the facility. They're getting ready to, you know, they're they're taping up, getting ready to go to practice. I mean, I, that's one thing about Josh Heupel. I give him a lot of credit for when it comes to just managing stuff is the practice schedule that they've done. Um, you see different spots around the country. Alabama, Kentucky come to mind immediately. Guys that practice late in the afternoon into the evening. Uh, Josh Eipel is has always said, okay, let's let's knock practice out of the way. Then you guys can go deal with academics and whatnot and, and the rest of your schedule. I think it helps Tennessee. I, I do. I think it's been beneficial all season. I mean, look what they did uh, in Baton Rouge uh, to LSU, you know, with that 11 a.m. early kickoff down there central time. So I think Tennessee bounces back this weekend. I think Missouri's defense is – you know, they present problems at linebacker, but I think overall, I think this is a Tennessee squad. And talking with some folks in that facility this week, they've put that Georgia game behind them because they know if they play their cards right, they could get another shot at them. And the mindset of Tennessee has been, we want a rematch. We want another shot at Georgia if we can get it or get into the playoffs somehow and potentially make that happen. They know they didn't play good. Georgia's a great football team. The Tennessee left points on the field. I think Tennessee was was out-schemed at times, and I just think they were not in control of what they were trying to do in Athens. And I'm not saying if they were, they would have won that football game, but I think they would love a second shot at, at Georgia or, or somebody to get to that point. And I think it starts this weekend against Missouri, who, by the way, Tennessee needs to win impressively. And and I promise you, Josh Eiple, Alex Golish, Hendon Hooker, they know that they have to win impressively. So I, I look for Tennessee to win by at least three, four touchdowns on Saturday. Undefeated TSU wasn't good enough to outrank one loss Alabama. It TCU. Is, TCU, what yep. did I say? TSU. TSU. A little a Texas State. It's Nashville. all good. I didn't know yeah. any George doing that a well little, with the Tigers Yeah, a little year. Nashville <laughs> Undefeated? Not good enough to outrank one loss Alabama, but good enough to outrank one loss Tennessee. Does it all become moot on Saturday in your estimation when they play Texas? I, I, I think it would have been just a heck of a lot easier if the committee would have come out and said, hey, Tennessee, you lost a game 
TCU's undefeated. We're just going to put TCU in front of you, and we're just going to see what happens with TCU. Like that had just been a lot easier explanation. They they were coming out and talking about how the you know the 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 games that they won, which one was impressive enough, games against five hundred teams or not. Which by the way, Tennessee beats TCU in those situations when it comes to the the strength of schedule. So, you know, I I think it plays out on Saturday. Uh, TCU playing at Texas. That's a big game. Saturday night, seven thirty Eastern time kickoff. And everything will play out. Like, I know fans and some fans of Tennessee were kind of like, wait a minute, why are we five? Oregon six. You're telling me the margin of victory, your loss doesn't matter against Georgia. Like, everything's about to play out. Like, TCU's got to play Texas Saturday. They got to play BY. I mean, I'm sorry, BYU, Baylor. Then they got to play Iowa State. And then you look at Oregon. Oregon's got to play Washington. They got to play Utah. They're going to have a Pac 12 title game. Like this stuff over the next three weeks will will you know either keep Tennessee you know in the discussion or it's going to knock them out because somebody's going to go and run the table and go undefeated. But you know, in in my opinion, I've watched TCU a good amount this year. If they get behind against Texas, they're not coming back like they did against West Virginia and some of these other schools. I think Texas would absolutely put it on them if if the Longhorns got up fourteen points. I just don't TCU. I don't see them being able to come back in Austin, you know, like they've done previous games this season. I, I just feel like Texas is too good of a team overall to let that happen. And um, you know, we we look at the Pac-12. We'll see how that plays out. Oregon's still got a long way to go, like I said, and um, there's a lot of room for, you know. Maybe an SEC to get two teams in, and and I think at the end of the day, that's what happens, Paul. If you want TSU stuff, you can call into uh, Hutton on Monday night. With Hutton's the got Eddie it all for it. He hosts the Eddie George Coaches Show. He's got, the, he's got the great night. Coaches Show. That's yeah, right. the great Coaches Show with Eddie George. Don't forget about that. Hutton Absolutely. does not host the Billy Napier Show, though. Um, I know he wanted no. that gig, but that Florida did. did not offer it. They to wanted him. local. Uh, I think this is a sneaky, important game for both teams. South Carolina at Florida for this reason: if South Carolina wins, they've got seven wins. A chance to shock the world next week at home against Tennessee. And they got a puncher's chance against Clemson, their arch rival in the final game of the season. But regardless, with that seventh win, they won more regular season games than a year ago. So Shane Beamer can point to progress. Billy Napier's been a disappointment in year one at Florida. But if you beat South Carolina at home and they're an eight-point favorite, you get to six wins. They're going to beat Vandy or should next week. That's seven wins. Then you could be playing Florida State to get to eight and four. That's not bad. If you close out the season on that win streak and beat Florida State in the final week of the season, this is a big pivot point game, I think, for both coaches, both programs moving forward. Are you buying that at all, Trey, or am I crazy to think that this 3 o'clock central kickoff on SEC Network actually means something? I, I think it means something to to South Carolina. Not saying it doesn't mean anything to Florida. I, I think Because I think Florida is going to win the football game. But I do think that South Carolina rolls in here with a little momentum. Um, this is a quote-unquote rivalry game, per se. We, we we saw what South Carolina did last year to Florida. I mean, pretty, it, it was a wrap in Columbia. You know, once Dan, you know, Mullen and, and everything in that situation went down. Look, I, I it hasn't been successful for Billy Napier so far. Um, you look at their record right now. I think, you know, like you said, the win over Carolina and then, you know, maybe you're setting yourself up nicely for that game against Florida State on Thanksgiving weekend. 
Uh, actually, it's going to be on that Friday, uh, by the way. I, I just I look at both of these teams. I feel like, okay, where are they going to get the offense from South Carolina beside Marshawn Lloyd running the football? And on the other side, is Anthony Richardson just going to sit in the pocket or is he going to make plays and try to make plays with his legs down the field? Like, that's what concerns me about this squad and uh, especially on defense with with the Gators. So, look, a lot of these games don't mean anything to the outside watcher of the SEC, but I think it's going to be a gritty game on Saturday afternoon. It's something that I, I do look forward to kind of keeping an eye out on. And if let me tell you something, if Shane Beamer goes to Gainesville and gets a win against Florida, you thought he was cocky and throwing on his shades and dancing in the <laughs> locker room now? Wait till they win in Gainesville on Saturday. Trey Wallace, you can follow him at Trey Wallace underscore. Read his work at outkick.com. Trey, thank you, man. Enjoy the weekend. We'll catch up next week. I look forward to it, guys. Keep up the great work. And uh, Paul, can't wait to get your U.S. men's national team thoughts one day soon. I hate Jordan Morris. There's my first one. There it, there is. it is. Okay. Thanks, guys. Yeah, man. Thank you, Trey. Uh, coming up over the next 45 minutes, Armando Salguero will be with us. We'll talk NFL. We will also, in about 20 minutes, uh, chat with Michael McHenry on all things Major League Baseball. When we come back, the latest injury report across the NFL it includes Josh Allen and a couple of players that have headed to injured reserve today in the middle of the practice week. That's next on Outkick 360. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Some interesting NFL injury news and notes. And then Michael McHenry joins us. We'll go through Major League Baseball's awards from Manager of the Year, Rookie of the Year, MVP, Gold Gloves, and more. Outkick 360 rolls on. So uh, Hunter Renfro placed on injured reserve today by the Raiders. He has a oblique issue. Darren Waller also to IR. The talented tight end. He's been battling a hamstring since like week four, week five, right after September. And what's interesting about that is the Packers tried to trade for him at the deadline and didn't get a deal done based on the asking price. And today he's placed on injured reserve with a hamstring issue that just will not go away. The 49ers, uh, and I feel terrible for the vet, uh, Jason Verrett. Um, so he's placed on injured reserve today. He tore his Achilles in practice yesterday. Mm. And this has been a career from hell for a very talented, massively talented corner from TCU. Drafted in 2014, he has missed 89 of a possible 129 games with injury. He, has a, he had a torn labrum. He's torn his ACL twice. He's torn his Achilles twice. And he's back on injured reserve. It's awful. That's but a horrible list. Uh, they have a good secondary. A good pass rush as well in San Francisco, but he was uh, one of the the veterans you could count on there for a, a young group at safety and then on the outside at corner. And Josh Allen doesn't practice for the second consecutive day. I've heard I heard on the radio on the way in listening on Sirius um, 
that he was ruled out. I cannot confirm that anywhere. And I've they, heard that as well. The the line they were doing this based on the line. So they, the Vikings are on the road. It went from over seven and it dropped to three and a half. And of course, this is factoring into my upset picks tomorrow. I'll have tomorrow. But I got here, looked this up, and all that said is there's no update, and he didn't practice for a consecutive second consecutive day. So just keep that in mind. Uh, finally, Matt Ryan is back practicing for the Indianapolis Colts. Jeff Saturday has already said that it's going to be Ellinger starting on the road against Vegas. But at the presser earlier this week, Jim Ursay was directly asked if he was opposed to Ryan coming back and playing, and he said no. So, and, and Ryan's been hurt with the shoulder since the Titans game here, where he was going to be benched either way because Ursay made the quarterback change. Point being, he's practicing for Jeff Saturday. He's got a fresh slate. That yeah. will be a storyline to follow. That could play a factor, not for the Colts, but for other teams facing the Colts trying to get into the postseason. Because Jeff Saturday's there to boost the offensive line, I think, and the run game. And I think they're going to go through the run, which will help Matt Ryan. Just keep an eye on it. Paul. Was um, out at Titans. Jeffrey Simmons uh, asked for no pictures to be taken of his boot, but uh, talked to us. Said he did aggravate it uh, further in Kansas City. But he was wearing a He didn't practice. Yes. He didn't practice the last two weeks and played. But clearly it's worse now than it was before those two games. So that's a big consideration. He is the, the, the first guy on a great defense. Ryan Tannehill, the videos other reporters took, show him moving around better laterally. And practiced uh, again. For sure, and practiced, it'll probably be limited, point, but, but but is doing more. So he's getting closer. He still don't know, and they've got two games. They're playing Sunday, Thursday. So you see what they could do. Listen, I, I joked, but I'm only partially joking. I, I think the Titans can beat Denver in a Ma uh, Mike Vrabel, Nathaniel Hackett head-to-head -head, yeah. so long as Derrick Henry's available. So I, I think the Titans can be careful this week, and quite frankly, maybe Thursday night against Green Bay, um, and, and then they've got a, a mini-buy. After the mini-buy, yeah. they're going to need their people. It's just it's difficult, no matter who's playing quarterback, to see 24 points on the board. You can talk about the boot, but not photograph it? That's that what he asked. I wasn't there when the conversation went down, but the agreement was made. He'll talk if there are no pictures of the boot. What I do know is the dude's playing. He'll play well. <laughs> That's We've seen that the last two weeks when he's been on the injury report. Michael McHenry joins us next. We'll recap the Major League Baseball season.